And would you stay standing? Stay standing. Would you do that? You could just stay standing. Just stay standing. Come on, stay standing. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank you. Thank you. We want to take just this moment and we want to pray for the men and women that are serving this great nation, affording us the freedom to worship God in the way that we choose this morning. And so we are going to pray for the men and women around the globe. We have a couple of our own that are this morning that are stationed in different parts of the world. We have Cody Hallam and we have Benito Cruz, with the two that I can think about the top of my head. But we're going to pray for them, but we're going to pray for the men and women of the United States military. Would you join me this morning? Father, thank you for these that are standing this morning that represent, God, those who are willing to give of their life, to sacrifice, and to say, Lord, I want to protect the freedoms that have been given to this great nation. And they've been given to us by you. You are the God of freedom. You are the God of life. And we thank you, Lord, that no matter how we got here, we are here today. And we thank you for these individuals. Now, Lord, we pray for those around the globe today, God, that represent this great nation in the United States of America. God, I pray for them. I pray for our own Cody Hallam, and I pray for Benito Cruz today where they are stationed at. I pray your blessing and your favor upon them. God, for, the, for this great nation, we pray your blessing. We say, God bless America in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone say. Have you ever had a moment in your life? You ever had a moment in your life where things just changed? Things changed. I, I was uh, thinking about you know, just my life this week as I've been preparing for I Am Today, and I realized that there were some things that happened in my life that really set me on a trajectory of where I am today. I, I had this experience in 1981. 1980, 1981, I was living in Tucson, Arizona. I was working at this restaurant called the tack room and i've talked about this many times but i actually googled the, googled the restaurant this week and i found this image this is the owner of the business his name is drew Bacter, and, and that's not a painting behind there that's actually uh the, a glass plate glass window and those are the mountains of southern arizona where i grew up in tucson arizona this was a very famous restaurant at the time it was one of only 10 five-star mobile rated restaurants in america and, and as a junior in high school i found myself working in the kitchen and i would see these guys coming down carrying trays wearing tuxedos and i'm thinking man that looks like a lot of fun i think i could do that and and so i found myself on the dining room floor of this world famous restaurant and it was so far over my head i i mean i went to work i had i had grown up in the construction industry my dad had owned a construction company i'd done painting and framing and all of a sudden i found myself wearing a tuxedo in a fine dining european continental cuisine restaurant one of the most highly rated restaurants in the country. And I'm just a good old southern Arizona boy wearing my boots and my 501 jeans. And here I am stumbling into this place that's way beyond my leap. And I had this boss, and he had a – the reason that this place was so famous is because everything was excellent. The service was excellent. The, the just You can see the way we set the place. You would look down the row, and every single glass all the way down the restaurant would be in the exact same position. Every fork on the table, every napkin had a little thing around it. Everything was perfect. They, they strove for perfection. Now, you can never reach perfection, but these guys gave it their very best. And by doing that, they created an atmosphere of excellence that drew people from all over the world, famous movie stars, and all kinds of people would come to this place. My first few months there, 
I was lost. I remember just kind of stumbling around the restaurant trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. And, and they didn't have a lot of time for rookies like me to learn the industry. And so there was a lot of pressure to perform, a lot of pressure to succeed. And I was so far above myself. I, I had high school had been a real challenge for me. And, you know, I, just things in my life had not necessarily been easy. And I found myself wanting to really do this. But I wasn't succeeding. I was trapped in this prison, this prison in my own mind, this prison of fear that I was going to get fired because almost every day the boss threatened to fire me. <laughs> and so I, was, I would go faster and try to do harder, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then finally the worst thing that could possibly happen happened. And at that moment, I just realized that I was still here. And they didn't fire me. And I'm like, hey, you know what? It's not that bad. And something at that moment changed. Something inside of me changed. You know, uh, the story that we're going to read this morning is found in Acts chapter 12. It's the story of Peter being thrown into prison. It's actually the story of three different individuals. The historian Luke writes, and he describes three different people, James, Peter, and a king by the name of Herod. But the emphasis this morning that I'm going to look at is that this man, Peter, Peter is thrown into prison. We're going to read about it in just a moment. But what I have discovered in life, there are natural prisons that people get tossed into. I, I spent one evening in a county jail, and I made a decision at that time in my life that I'm never going to be here again. It's not a place, it's a bad place. It's not a place that I want to be. But there are people in this room, maybe you've spent time in prison. And there are natural prisons, and they're no good, and they're no fun, and they're terrible places, and they're just, you know, they're there for a reason. But there are prisons that I believe that are even worse than people's lives. Because inside of a prison, a person can make a choice and live a completely destiny, different destiny. But there are spiritual prisons, prisons of the mind. There are prisons of fear, people that are just afraid to take their next step in life, afraid to really trust and believe God. There, there are prisons of people's ego. There are some people in our culture today that think it's all up to them. They believe that they're the captain of their ship, their own ship, and the master of their own destiny. They've got this huge ego. They don't need God. They can do it. They've got this self-determination about them. That's a prison because at some point in your life, you'll find that you won't be able to do it. Your ego gets in the way of you really being able to trust God, to believe in God. There's prisons of bad habits and addictions. People want to get over something, want to overcome a bad habit or a problem or something that's keeping them down, that's just bogging their life down in pain and misery. It becomes a prison, and they find themselves on the crazy train, the crazy cycle of doing things that they don't want to do. There's prisons of denial. I've met people in life who just deny where they're really at. They've got huge problems, but they just deny them. They put their head in the sand. They've got huge financial problems, and they just pretend they don't exist. They have huge relational problems, and they just pretend like there's nothing wrong. And it becomes a prison. And that prison locks them in, and it, and it keeps them from being able to, to really live abundant life. It keeps them from being able to live the life that God destined them, God destined for them. And there's prisons of lack, lack mindsets about where they're at and their position and they're never going to have enough and life is hard. It becomes a prison. Maybe it was passed on generationally. Maybe your parents had that mindset. There, there was never enough and, and it was too hard and, you know, the system wasn't fair. And it becomes a prison. It becomes a bondage. Today I want to speak to you about 
overcoming the prisons that captivate our lives. I want to talk to you this morning about experiencing a suddenly in your life that will set you free from your prison. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And can you stand with me as we read the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 12? And the Bible says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church and tended to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw this, that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread or the time of Passover. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And that night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Everyone say sleeping. Between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, everyone say suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. I believe this morning that some of you are going to experience a suddenly of God's favor in your life. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking right now. We've already prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. But I'm asking, oh, Father, that you would give us the great gift of your Spirit. That everyone in this room, God, that we would leave here with a fresh sense, a fresh reality, that you're the God who is with us. Father, I pray right now that you will fill our hearts full of faith, the ability to believe, God, that you are the God that sets us free from the presence of life. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be full of your grace as we believe that there will be a grace. It says, your grace, Lord, is sufficient. I'm able, Lord, because of that today. God, for the wisdom to be able to make the decisions that we need to make. And I ask this in your wonderful and your mighty and powerful name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Our story, our story takes place about 14 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church has been birthed and things are exploding. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the church was finding favor with God and with man. I mean, there was just a lot of incredible things happened. We've gone through the book of Acts now for several, actually since the beginning of the year. And we, we've seen the stories of the miracles of the masses of people that would come out and hear the gospel. We've, we've seen resistance. We, we've seen people not like it because here's the deal. When God's favor is on your life, when things are going well in a person's life, and as a matter of fact, the higher a person raises in culture, no matter what field they're in, they're going to have haters. Everyone say, hashtag haters. <laughs> I mean, there's haters out there. There are people that don't want other people to succeed. And the gospel was advancing. The good news of Jesus and his resurrection. And that he was alive by his Holy Spirit and wanted to change the realities of people's lives. was just spreading like wildfire. I mean, it was just spreading. The largest cities, Rome had been penetrated with the gospel. The city of Antioch had been penetrated with the gospel where Peter was. The city of Jerusalem, the Bible says, they filled the city with the doctrine of Jesus. I mean, there, there was this, this buzz that was taking place. The church was rapidly expanding. It was growing. There were miracles and healings and powerful Christian community. 
People were sharing their needs with one another. And the grace and the fame of Jesus was growing and growing and growing. But there was also opposition. The opposition came among the religious leaders, the the Jewish religious leaders who who didn't want to accept this change and their coffers were being emptied. The, The synagogues were being deserted as people were running to the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ because there was life. There was blessing. There was a favor of God. This Acts chapter 12 gives us a very realistic picture of what happens when tragedies and trials and the possibilities of triumphs enter into the church. I want you to see this morning, in the first couple of verses, there's a guy named James. He's one of Jesus' favorite friends. The Bible says that Jesus hung out with three guys, Peter, James, and John. He had 12 disciples, but there were three that he was the closest. They were his closest buds. They were his faves. You know, for James, life wasn't easy. I mean, James' life wasn't easy. And this is what I know about life. Life is seldom easy. Life is seldom easy, but life is always good. God's plan for your life is seldom easy. God has a great destiny. God has a great purpose. God has a great plan for City Church. God has a great plan for your personal life. But to get to where God wants you to go, there are going to be challenges. There's going to be trials. There's going to be obstacles. And you look at this guy, James, who's one of Jesus' very closest friends, and wasn't immune to problems in his life. For doing good, for doing good, for sharing his life, for proclaiming the resurrection of Christ and helping people find a relationship with God, he was thrown into prison and his head was chopped off. And Jesus said it like this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. In our culture today, there's a lot of resistance. There's a larger percentage of people who claim to be atheists in our culture today than any time in American history. It's just permeating our culture. It isn't just permeating America. It's all over Western civilization. There's just this agnosticism. This, there's this atheism. And Christians, by and large, in many parts of the world, are being painted in a bad light. And I was thinking, you know, what would happen in Central Florida if you took all the Christians out? Let me just mention one name here, Florida Hospital. You know Florida Hospital is a Christian hospital? I mean, one of the great privileges I have is to get the minister of Florida Hospital. I go there frequently. I've got a little volunteer chaplain badge, and it gives me free pass. I tell my wife, it gives me free pass to any, any doorway in Florida Hospital. I even get free parking and a 15, 15% discount in the cafeteria. Oh, yeah. You know, and you take the escalator down to Florida Hospital South, and they've got these great big pictures of Jesus and happy families and scripture verses. Just think if they took Florida Hospital out of Central think just one hospital just think if they took christian sharing center out of sanford just think if they took mother weaver's home for the shelter the shelter home down here in downtown sanford just think if they took that out of sanford i mean you begin to look you just take one little community one little city and you multiply that across america and then around the globe when i was in haiti a few years ago what amazed me about haiti is that almost 90% of the children that are educated in Haiti are educated by Christian missionaries and Christian churches. It's a fact. The feeding stations, the multitudes of people in Port-au-Prince when we were there, they were being fed by Christians. There were other groups there too, but predominantly. And for that, for doing good, oh, does everyone do it right? Are there people in the Christian community who are vitriolic? Of course. 
But for the most part, what I see, what I see, which was taking place in the book of Acts, Christians were going around modeling with their Savior. They, they were doing good. The first martyr, the first person who gave their life for the faith of Jesus, he died on Passover weekend. Do you know when Jesus died? On Passover weekend. Fourteen years previous to this, Jesus gave his life for the sins of the world. Jesus died and he rose from the dead so that you and I could have life. And this first person who would lay down his life, who would become the blood, the martyr's blood for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for all ages, died on the same weekend. Not a coincidence. See, in the scriptures, first fruits are holy to the Lord. The Passover represented life, deliverance, victory. The Passover represented the goodness of God to His people, the love of God for His people. And here this man, James, gives his life. James is friends with Jesus, but it didn't stop a bad thing from happening to him. James was executed at Passover. But what James had a clear understanding of was the sovereignty of God in his life. He really understood that God was in control of his destiny and his future. He knew that. He believed that. He had seen God at work in his life. The sovereignty of God is something as believers we have to grapple with. I mean, I grapple with this frequently. What's my part? What's God's part? I just keep saying, if I can just do my part, I know, that, I know for sure that God is going to take care of his part. But so many people, this is the stumbling block. Bad things happen to really good people. James was a really good guy. And something terrible happened to him. And people have these kind of questions. God, why did this bad thing happen to that person? And why did this bad thing happen to this person? And why did this bad thing happen to me? Why did they do this? And why did they do that? And so many people on the road of life, they get tripped up and they stumble and they fall. And they end up trapped in this prison of unbelief that God is really good and can work on their behalf. A couple of weeks ago when Christina was preaching on the life of Cornelius, she had this, she, she said this quote, I don't know if she quoted it or, or she said this, and, and I just wrote it down and it made such an impact on me. It said, there are no emotionally satisfying answers to the objections of Christ or explanations to the evils and troubles of this world. You're just never going to find a satisfying emotional answer because the fact is, guys, we can't figure it all out. The whys of life. Why did this happen? And why did this happen? Why did that happen? They always lead you down this dead end trail. They'll never need. They'll never lead you to a satisfactory emotional answer. But, but God, as followers of Jesus, we hold on to those things loosely. And we say like the Paul, Paul the Apostle, when he talked about afflictions and he talked about problems and he talked about challenges that came to him. He said, but listen to this, guys. Listen to this, guys. For all things, all, everyone say all. All things work together for good for them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Can you put the verse up there for me? I want you to see verse number 29. For God knew his people. God knew, hear this. God knew when you were going to be born. God knew that you were going to live in Sanford, Florida. God knew that you were going to live in Seminole County, Lake Mary, Wherever you live, God knew that on May 24, May 25, 2015, He knew exactly what was going to be happening in your life. And here's the deal, guys, because God knew that. God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become 
like His Son. God chose you. You're here today because God chose you. God loves you. God's desire for you is to become like Jesus. And how do we become like Jesus? Trouble. <laughs> the mo- how do we become more like Christ? Trials. How do we become more like Jesus? Tribulations. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome. You see, Jesus has overcome so that we can overcome, so that when the stuff of life that we can't explain, we say, God, I can't understand this. Emotionally, this doesn't make sense, but I put my trust in you because I believe that all things work together for good for them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Peter's thrown into prison. After arresting him, verse number four, they put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads. See, setbacks in our life are often setups for God's supernatural intervention. Setbacks in your life. Impossible situations are setups for God to work the impossible. That's exactly what it's about. I want you to see verse number 5. The Bible says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was praying. Peter's thrown into prison. And the church is praying, God, deliver Peter. God, save Peter. They had this confidence in God. They knew that the God that they were praying to could change the course of history. They believed that. They had seen it with their own eyes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Coming with confidence before the throne of grace. Saying, God, I need you. God, I'm believing for a divine reversal. God, I'm believing for you to do what only you can do in my circumstance so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Find the grace to help us in our time of need. The setback that Peter had experienced, others were praying, but I want you to see what Peter was doing. (laughs) Peter, I love this. I love what Peter was doing. In verse number 6, he's got guards around him. He's chained. You know what he's doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping. Look at, the, look at verse number 6 with me. The Bible says that, that, that he was sleeping between two soldiers. <laughs> he was at peace. God, you got my future. God, you got my back. He was at rest. And I don't know about you, but this is like, whoa. I mean, I'm a, I'd, be like, I'd, be like, I'd be like praying like the church for myself. <laughs> God, rescue me. Peter's at rest. I want you to see this here. Fourteen years earlier, Peter was on a boat. The story is recounted in two of the Gospels. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, it says that Peter was on a boat with Jesus. And there was a great storm that came. And the Bible says that Jesus had a little pillow. <laughs> I mean, the water's coming on, and the disciples are like, Jesus, God, you're going to save us. And Peter's actually said, Jesus, wake up. And there's just Jesus on his little pillow, and he's just sleeping. He's like, whoa, what's the matter? <laughs> oh, you of little faith. What's the matter? And then he just gets up, and he says, Peace. Fourteen years earlier, Peter was full of fear, afraid for his life. 
but he's growing. He's growing in his faith. The Bible says that we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from victory to victory. Now he's at a place of peace. The Bible says that there's a peace of God that passes all understanding. In my life, the peace of God, even in the midst of the storm, is the measuring rod for my life. One of the barometers that I use to determine if God has really directed me a certain direction is a sense of peace. I've had chaos this week. It's been one of the most intense weeks of my life. But inside, inside, when I sit in my chair or I sit on my couch, there's this abiding sense of peace. Keep fighting. Keep going. Don't stop. I'm with you. How do you get your peace? I mean, how do you find yourself in that place of peace? I, I started analyzing this week because this was a really good week. And the reason I chose this topic is I was supposed to not preach on another text. I said, well, this one works better for me because this is what I'm going through. <laughs> but how do you do it? Well, the first thing that i got to do is i got to think like God thinks. And what does God think? Well, what God thinks is written in his word. So the verse I've been quoting myself always, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. I've had to quote that verse to myself many times, many times. Perfect peace will, they, will he give those who love his law and nothing will cause him to stumble. The horse is prepared for battle, but it's God that gives the victory. I mean, I'm just quoting myself these, these verses. In the midst of the storm, when things are swirling all around me and emotions are high, Trust in the Lord, Eugene. God's going to work this out. Uh, really practical, the second thing that I found myself doing is that, I, you know, I've been on this little Fitbit thing and trying to get my steps in. I just, I've been going for these really long walks. And when I'm on these walks, I, I have my phone, I get my earplugs in, and I got praise and worship music on. And I just, I put the praise and worship music on, and I put scripture verses on, and I just walk. And I walk. And then I'll say, you know, I, I need to talk to a good friend. I need to talk to somebody that can believe with me. I've had lots of conversations this week with close friends who prayed with me and to share with me, to share life with me. We're better together. That's why you need other believers in your life, other people that say, it's going to be all right. It's going to work out. Kip Williams, call him on the phone, laughing with me, just having a great time. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the storm, God's got this. God's got our back. And get a good night's sleep. This is what I'm still growing in. Still growing in this one. See, if we're looking for perfection in this life, we'll never find it. But what we can do is we can make a decision of our heart that we're going to continue to grow in faith. We're going to find that sense of peace that only God can give. So we're saying, God, God, we're here. The storm is great. God, we're in our prison, our prison of fear, our prison of isolation prison of doubt, a prison of addiction. God can't seem to break out of this mindset of lack. What do we do? What do we do? We pray until the sudden. Don't you hear this today? We stay in faith until the sudden. In verse number 7, the Bible says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. And a light shone in the cell. I mean, listen, guys, this is what God does. You're going along, and it's, it's, a, it's this prison of your own mind, of your own spirit. And then it's one word. It's one scripture verse. 
It's, you're driving down the road and you see this billboard. And God speaks to you through a billboard. I mean, you're, you're sitting in a restaurant and all of a sudden the waitress says something. And it clicks something in your heart and your spirit. And you start thinking differently. It's one message of a scripture. It's one song in a time of worship. It's a suddenly of hope. The hope of Christ that comes into your life. And when that beam of hope, that light of Christ comes into your atmosphere, it dispels the darkness. You see, for Peter, there was a suddenly. And today, for some of you in this room, you need a suddenly. You've been, oh, your mind is bombarded. The future looks bleak. You don't know how it's going to be different. But God has a suddenly for you today. See, I believe that with all my heart. I believe that this is Pentecost Sunday, not by accident, but God suddenly came by His Holy Spirit and He filled the church. So I begin to think of all the suddenlies in the Bible. There's so many of them. I thought of Moses when he was at the Red Sea. Come on, think about it. I mean, it looked to be impossible. I mean, Moses had, had gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And he goes, yay. And then, and then they start to leave and he says, no goes back to him again and, and said, Moses says, let my people go, Pharaoh. And Moses says, yay. And then he says, no. Again, yay, no, yay, no, yay, no, yay, no, yay, no. And finally there's a yay, but it's really a no. And maybe your life feels like that sometimes. You feel a yes, but then it doesn't seem to work. It's a no. You feel you try it again, it's a yes, but then it's a no. You find another yes, and then it's another no. You find another yes, and you try it again, and it's a no. But then they come up to an impossible. Come on. It's an impossible situation. And it's only God that can make the impossible possible. And there Moses stands with the rod. And when he lifts that rod over the Red Sea, God took that situation and he turned it into a setup of his power and of his grace and his glory because there was a suddenly, suddenly God came. I think of Joshua. Come on. He, I mean, he had some incredible stories. He'd been with Moses through the Red Sea, all through the 40 years of wilderness. He crosses the Red Sea, which is another incredible story, but he gets to a city called Jericho. It's, it's a fortress that it's impossible for them to conquer, to take, but God says, I want you to have that city. See, he has an impossible situation. He has a, he has a setback. There's no way, God. But God said, this is what I want you to do. You see, God says, I want you to do something that's ridiculous. I want you to do the ridiculous. And if you're willing to do the ridiculous, I will do the impossible. See, so many times God asks us to do things that seem so weird. I mean, like give my first fruits, give my tithe before I pay my other bills, and God's going to take care of it. Yeah. God, you want me to pray and go to church and hang out with other Christians and do life with them, and it's going to be better. We're better together. We're better together. It's never perfect in this life. We live in a fallen world. Joshua, he says, okay, God, we're going to go out. We're going to do exactly what you say. Joshua grabs the people, grabs the musicians and the singer, and they start marching around Jericho. I mean, can you imagine the people that are inside this city? I mean, no one's been able to conquer the city. No one's been able to dominate on them. They're just like mocking them. You got to be kidding me! Oh, you guys are a joke. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the devil that taunts you. 
He says, oh, you've got to be kidding. You've never been able to. You've never been able to save two nickels. You've, you've never been able to succeed in a job. You've never been able to make a relationship work or a marriage work or make, get your kids to obey. You can take whatever it is in your life that seems to be a prison. And there Joshua begins to march around the city. One day, two days, being taunted by the people on the wall. The third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God said, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the wall seven times. Joshua, on the seventh day, walked around the wall seven times. And guess what? On the seventh time of the seventh day, when the trumpet began to blast, there was a suddenly, suddenly, oh, David, this little shepherd boy, goes up against this big giant of a man. He's just like, you got to be kidding me, you little runt. You little pick squeak. I'm going to snap your neck off with my right hand. you got to be kidding me. David, one sling, one stone. One sling, one stone. God, it's impossible. His situation was impossible, but it was a setup for the, for the possible. God made the impossible possible. David took that sling and he began to sling it around and he released that stone. One moment of time. He got a suddenly. I mean, I think of Daniel. I mean, this great prophet of God. He did nothing but good. In every administration he served, the favor of God was on him. I mean, everything he did was blessed to the Lord. And for that, he gets tossed into a lion's den. There he is in a lion's den, and it's in another impossible situation. You see, impossible situations are setups for God to work the possible. Lions surrounded him, hungry. Daniel just simply prays. The Bible declares that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your, 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 your generations to come. God has a suddenly for you today. God came and he suddenly shut the mouth of the lions. A guy, Lazarus, he's in the grave for four days. I mean, come on, he, he stinks. Jesus, it's impossible. But with what's impossible with man is possible with God to them that believe. I mean, here's a guy, his body's already decaying. You can already imagine the maggots probably starting to attack this flesh that's just rotting away. He stinks. But in one moment, Jesus speaks a suddenly, Lazarus, come forth. Bang. Suddenly, Lazarus is raised from the dead. I mean, the lame man was healed suddenly. Prison doors were thrown open, and Peter left with the angel suddenly. See, divine interventions in our life, many times, many times they amaze us because they come so suddenly. I want you to hear this today. You're in this room today, and you're looking at an impossible situation. I want you to be full of hope. I want you to know he's the God who works in the realm of the impossible. That's where he does his best business. God has a suddenly today. This is Pentecost Sunday. The Bible says that they were all in the upper room. And they were waiting. They didn't know what they were waiting for. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were just obeying what God told them to do. And when the Holy Spirit came suddenly, like a rushing mighty wind. They went from cowards to conquerors. 
Peter a victim of his own foolishness and stupid behavior. He becomes a victor. I mean, one moment he's a coward running, running from the cause of Christ to the next moment when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes a champion for the cause. Why? Because he got a suddenly. He got a suddenly. Some of you in this room right now, you need a suddenly. You need a suddenly of God's divine intervention. I want everyone to close their eyes. If that's you this morning, you need a suddenly of God. When I count to three, will you raise your hand? One, two, three. Come on, right now in this room. All across this room. I want everyone to stand with me this morning. He's a God of wonders. He demonstrates His awesome power among the nations. I woke up this morning. There was an old song. It was an old song that we used to sing. The old revivalists had come to the church. They'd play the piano. they try to sound like a famous TV preacher. I still remember. The song was reverberating through my soul this morning. They said, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable. God, any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes in things thought impossible. He'll do for you what no other God can do. He'll do for you what no other God can do. You raise your hand this morning. You really need a suddenly. I don't want you to miss this moment. I want you to come and join me right here at the altar. Come on, come quick. Come on, let's not miss this moment. 